Hey, happy weekend, everybody. How are you guys all doing today? Hey, I am Pastor DJ, and I am the campus pastor at Castle Rock Campus, and if anybody uh, has never seen me before, um, and it is a great privilege to be with you guys here today, both here at Lone Tree as well as at all of our campuses. want to take this opportunity to uh, greet our Castle Rock Campus. Love you guys. And our Highlands Ranch Campus. Oh, we can do better. Let's hear it for Highlands Ranch Campus. Yes, we love you. Also, those of you preparing to be a part of the Lakewood campus, man, may God touch you this weekend. Also, everybody listening via live stream, including our missionaries all over the world and other people joining us. Um, we just pray that you are blessed this weekend by the word of God. Also, anybody that may download this podcast at any point in time, uh, may you just be changed by the power of God's word. Um, hey, it is great to be with you. Um, I wanted to uh, start by just sharing a story with you. You may have, have heard the story, I don't know, but it was a pastor who, uh, probably a campus pastor like myself, who, you know, community is everything and building relationships. So he decided that he was going to visit all of the church members, or at least a good portion of them, on a Saturday. And he went uh, to one particular house, and when he got there, it was very clear that uh, someone was in the house, but they just weren't coming to the door. And so he just kept knocking several times, and just nobody would come, nobody would come. So finally, he took a card out of his pocket, and he wrote on it, Revelation 3, verse 20, which reads this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The next day, the same card got returned in the church offering. But below the pastor's verse was another scripture that had been written in, and it read this, Genesis 3, verse 10. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> so truly, Genesis does have a lot of wisdom. If that's you, it's okay to hide sometimes in your house. But uh, welcome to our series, Genesis. This is part three of our series on, on the book of Genesis. And uh, if you have not had a chance to hear Pastor John's messages, Pastor John Leach, our senior pastor, um, the last two messages have been powerful, powerful words from God. I would encourage you to go to jfc.org and download the free uh, podcast of those. You will be blessed. Last week, we were challenged for two things. One is to position ourselves for God's provision, looking at the fact that rain had not come down because there was not a man or not a person on the ground ready to work the soil. And God doesn't send the rain beforehand. He asks us to step out of our comfort zone, walk in obedience to what he's calling us to do, and then that's when the rain of God's provision comes. We were also encouraged to uh, choose to eat from the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's so easy to do in our relationships to uh, just become judgmental, become bitter, become unforgiving. But it's a daily choice in our life to eat of the tree of life, which is Jesus. And uh, I know that as we do that, um, it can be life-changing. And it truly is one of those words that um, is a regular part of my thought process. If you haven't heard that word um, do yourself a favor and download it and listen to it. But today we are entering part three of this series, and it is on covenant, on covenant. And uh, covenant is a powerful thing. Covenant is a powerful thing. And we see throughout the book of Genesis, in fact, throughout the word of God, that our God is a God who makes and keeps covenant. Our God is a God who makes and keeps covenant. Now, before we go too much further, you might say, well, wait a second, you know, Covenant can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. You know, what is covenant? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you what covenant is not. I have right here a piece of paper 
that you probably won't be able to read, but it's from Go Courtesy Ford. And this is a contract. And this says that if I, perhaps, let's say, uh, if the window on my truck, the passenger side window, had broken, let's just, you know, platonically, hypothetically speaking, if that had broken on, I don't know, a Saturday morning, let's say, and I were not a mechanic, then I would be able to enter into a contract with Go Courtesy Ford Service Department where they would charge me several hundred dollars <laughs> to go in, probably pop my door off, you know, five minutes worth. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's very hard work and very honorable, but they can go in there and fix my window. I give them several hundred dollars. They give me a piece of paper that says, we will fix the window in your truck and you will be able to close the window, which is probably a good thing since it's starting to get cold out. So this is not an example of a covenant. This is a contract that says, if you do this, I will do that, right? If you don't pay me the money, I am not responsible to fix your truck, correct? So this, not an example of a covenant. Okay, how about this? Okay, I have right here, this is actually a dramatization of a covenant that I received when I purchased our house in Douglas County. How many of you guys have seen something that looks like this? I keep mine in my nightstand and I read from it every, every night. It actually works great. It puts me to sleep. But, you know, you get something like this and it has all these covenants to protect you. This is a covenant protected community. I love that. They used to call them covenant controlled communities. But now we've evolved as a human race and we call them covenant protected communities. Even some of our people at Highlands Ranch probably have one of these. And so don't you just feel so protected when you have one of these and you can read from it and you get those letters that say, hey, good morning, neighbor that I'm in covenant with. Um, it's time to paint the outside of your house again to the tune of several thousand dollars. Or, hey, it's not okay to have pallets out in front of your side fence like I happen to do this weekend. Or other things like that. Weeds growing up in your yard, right? Covenants to protect us. Okay, we're not going to talk about those kind of covenants today. Aren't you glad? Okay, we are going to talk about covenants that God has chosen to make with people and with entire humankind. And a covenant is a powerful powerful thing. Our God is a God who makes and keeps covenants. Just in the book of Genesis alone, there are four major covenants, or I should say in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, we find four major covenants. Then we find another three covenants throughout the rest of scripture. So there's a total of seven covenants that God chose to make with people in the word. And, uh, you know, just to recap, okay, put your little Sunday school thinking cap on. We're not going to take long. Don't worry. Although people at Castle Rock are totally into this. Um, but you know, with Adam and Eve, right after they sinned, in Genesis chapter 3, God said, hey, your seed will crush the serpent's head and he will strike your heel. God was speaking of a redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah, who would come and conquer sin and conquer death and pay the price of that separation from God that Adam and Eve had just experienced and that we've learned about in the last couple of weeks where they began to drink that poison of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God already entered into a covenant with them. Fast forward a couple of chapters. God enters into covenant with Noah. You know the story. If you don't, rent Evan Almighty. It's pretty close. No, it's good. <laughs> 
It actually is. But um, God, of course, saves them. And, and you'll hear uh, this preached about in just a couple of weeks. But God calls them to enter into the ark and calls all the animals. And God, the man obeys and obeys. And the flood comes and so forth. And when they come, finally come out of the ark and, and they're rescued and they're saved, uh, Noah builds an altar. And God enters into a covenant where he says, I will never again destroy the entire earth through a flood. And he puts a sign up in the sky, which is a rainbow that we can all see today. So God entered into covenant with Noah. Then fast forward a little bit more. And God entered into covenant with a man named Abraham and God chooses him out of all the men on the earth to make a covenant with him that he would be God's chosen people and his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. We're going to look at him in just a few minutes. But God enters into a powerful covenant with Abraham. Then when the people of God are coming out of Egypt and they're standing at the shore of the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy, God says, hey, if you Obey the commands of the Lord your God and do what I'm asking you to do. I will give you this promised land, this land of milk and honey. And so there's a covenant made with the people of God there. And then God had made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai, right? Where God revealed his commandments to his people. And they entered into covenant with God. And so we see that covenant. Fast forward about 400 years. There's a guy named David who's called the man after God's own heart. And even with all of his ups and downs, and can you say amen? David had some ups and downs. Okay, but God loved him, and God said, you will never lack to have a descendant on the throne of Israel. You will always have a man. Now, of course, looking historically, there hasn't always been a descendant of David, but we believe once again, this is pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, who will one day return and reign in the new Jerusalem and be the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the everlasting God. So God entered into covenant with David. And then last but not least, in Jeremiah, it foretells of a day when God would enter into covenant with us as his people, where the law would not be written on tablets of stone, but where he would take and write his commandments right on our hearts. And one person would not have to say to another, hey, know God, hey, know the Lord, that's important in your life, because that promise says they will all know the Lord. And we believe that that speaks of that covenant that Jesus brought when he held that third cup on that Passover night, the cup of redemption. And he said, this is good, he held that up and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for new covenant with you. That was the covenant that Jesus came to bring that fulfilled all of the other covenants and brought us in. So all that say, okay, lesson's over. You survived. Good. Okay, take a breath. All right, that's just a quick overview of the seven major covenants in God's word. But here's the deal. God is a God who makes and keeps covenant. Now, I can see on some of your faces, you're asking yourselves, and I know even at my beloved Castle Rock, some people are asking themselves that very spiritual sort of hermeneutical Bible study question. Why do I care? (laughs) Okay, I'm glad you asked. Here's why we care. I believe that God speaks to us by being a God who makes covenant. God communicates something very important and reveals something very important about himself through making covenants and keeping covenants. Do you want to look at three things that I believe God speaks to us? Is that okay to jump into those? All right. So here is what I believe God speaks and what he wants to speak to you, every one of you, those of you at Castle Rock Highlands Ranch listening via live stream. God wants you to hear this this weekend and He wants to reveal himself to us in this way. The first message that God sends to us through making covenant is that I find value in you. God is telling us, I find value in you. You see, God is not that different from us in this. If we're going to enter into covenant with someone, 
we probably want it to be someone that we like. Yes? We're not willing to enter into covenant with someone that we don't like or that we're not willing to be associated with or someone that maybe we're ashamed of or someone that rubs us the wrong way constantly, right? No, we want to enter into a covenant. If we're going to enter into a covenant, into, and by the way, we should probably take a minute to define that. It's an agreement between two parties that is everlasting by which each of the parties promises to the other what they will do and each expects a reward from the other as well. That's what a covenant is. It goes far beyond a contract. It goes far beyond that bill to say, okay, I'll fix your truck window if you pay me several hundred dollars. A covenant is a powerful thing, but when God says, I am willing to enter into covenant with you, he's saying, I find value in you. A covenant conveys value. It says you are valuable to God. Now, it also involves choosing, right? There's a sense of choosing. How many of you guys are married? Okay, several of us, all right. Yeah, campuses, yep, several married people. At some point in that story of romance of your life, you chose that other person to enter into a lifelong covenant with. And so there's an element of choosing involved there. God says the same thing about you. I am choosing you. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about God choosing Abraham. And it says this, I'm just going to read the first three verses. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do, you. do you get a little bit of that? God was choosing Abram. God was choosing him to enter into this deep and intimate relationship with called covenant. And every covenant involves choosing. Now, there was a coach of peewee football back in the 90s. And his name was Dave Hess. And uh, he was a Pop Warner coach back in the 90s. And uh, he saw, he remembers when he first saw this rather large, powerful uh, 10-year-old kid with the peewees. He says, I was looking over the boys who would be on my team the next season. And this particular kid stood out. To be truthful, it was a redneck bunch who wanted to prove their manhood at that age. And all they wanted to do was to hit this kid in practice, Hess said. He took them all on and whipped them. We had a drill where I had the boys get on their knees and throw the football. The first time this kid threw the ball, it went 30 yards. A kid who could throw that far, run, and outwork everybody. We had an off-season conditioning program, and even then, you could tell he was a leader. I knew he was going to be my quarterback. Oh, he had the it factor back then, Hess says. You can't quantify it. He's always been a young man of substance. He goes on to say, for instance, the youngster ran a quarterback sneak for 80 yards, and then on the next series, flung a 50-yard pass. This is at age 10. At six, at age six, he had put a quote on his bedroom door, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. He absolutely lived by those exact words, Hess says. I picked up this kid for every practice and we talked in the car. We started the season 0-2 because we had changed the offense, but he kept on promising me that he would work harder every day. He stayed after every practice and kept running and throwing until after dark and until I forced him to get in the car. We didn't lose again until the final regional game before the national 
championship. Many years later, when Broncos head coach Josh McDaniels drafted this kid, Tim Tebow, in the first round, the coach said the quarterback had it. That coach of Tim Tebow, when he was age 10, says, I tell all my players that if they want to succeed, use Tim as an example. If you work hard, something good will happen. Timmy's a winner. He has won on every level, and he will win in pro football. People who question his ability don't understand Tim or know what he's capable of. Now, this weekend we find ourselves at a remarkable moment in history. I don't, I'm not here to start a big argument. That's the last thing. You know, don't talk about politics, religion, or the Broncos, right? In the church, those are three recipes for disaster. But whatever your opinion about the Broncos, whatever your opinion about Tim Tebow may be, the truth of the matter is that two weeks ago, he came in for the second half of a game when we were trailing 26 to 10, and he brought the game within two points, and I, for one, was like on the edge of my seat, ah! and I was at home, you know, on my couch. But I know who people who were at the game. And it was 10, 9, 11, and I turned to my kids and I said, guys, remember 10, 9, 11. Now, you know, I, you know me. I'm always very calm and very rational with these things. I'm like, kids, this is the beginning of a new era. This is the beginning. You will remember this day. We'll go down in history as the first day of the rest of the life of the Broncos football team. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! So, to, uh, so this weekend... Tim Tebow is going to get a chance to show what he can do, of course, for the rest of the season. It may be ups and downs. But here is what, and the next day after that game, I wasn't the only one getting carried away in all of the excitement because the next day there was a big billboard off of I-25 that said, Welcome to Tebow Country. <laughs> so I'm, and I didn't do it. <laughs> but here's what I want to say. It's not so much to talk about Tim Tebow, obviously. I happen to believe he's a champion. I believe he's going to do great things. But here's the deal. Even Tim Tebow or any champion that you could pick wouldn't fulfill their destiny and the potential that's locked up in their lives without a coach like Dave Hess who was able to invest in them, who was able to early on choose them and say, I believe in you. I will drive you to practice. I'm going to design my team around you because I believe in you. That coach chose Tim Tebow at 10 years old. Because he saw something in him. And I'm here to tell you this weekend that God is choosing you. He sees something in your life even when you don't see it. Even long before other people don't see the possibility or the potential or the gifting or the anointing or whatever it might be in your life. God sees it. And God is saying, I choose you. And I have offered myself to be in covenant with you. To be that coach has in your life that says, I believe in you. You're going to do great things together with me. Because together there's nothing we cannot accomplish. Amen. So covenant involves choosing. We all know that. Can I take it a step farther? All right. Highlands Ranch. One step farther. Okay, check this out. Um, Not only does it involve choosing, and we know we've been chosen. Ephesians 1 tells us, hey, you've been chosen in Christ, blessed in him with every spiritual blessing. We know that's true. But in Genesis chapter 15, Moses, or excuse me, Abram is continuing his conversation with God. And God is telling him, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. And Abram says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, his servant. And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord, verse four, came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to them, him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then it goes on to say the birds of prey came down. Darkness fell upon him and he was revealed that his people, even though they would be multiplied according to God's covenant and his promise, that they would suffer for 430 years oppression in the land of Israel. But then it goes on to say in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaelites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Whoo! Can you say amen? Be thankful you didn't have to read that. It's almost like an eye chart for your mouth. But... All right, so we've gotten done reading about animals being cut in half. And you're going, what does this possibly have to do with covenant? Again, thank you for asking. This is what I think is so cool. Covenant with God doesn't just involve choosing you. Doesn't just involve believing that you have value, not being ashamed to be associated with you, but wanting to be linked and bound with you. But here's the deal. When God called Abram to cut those animals in half and lay them on the altar, there were halves of animals laid like this. And the fire pot representing the presence of God came and passed through those. Here's what I want you to see, church. When an animal was cut in half and laid open on the altar, how many animals was it? Was it one or was it two? It was one animal. Castle Rock, how many was it? It was one animal, even though it had been cut in half, right? Here's what I believe God is saying to you today. When I enter into covenant with you, Just like in the early chapters in Genesis, when God made man and woman, he said, and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, let man not separate what God has joined together. I believe God is saying this. When I enter into covenant with you, it is like we are going to be one flesh. We are going to be bound together. You with me, me with you. There's not two of us here. We are joined together. You say, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Okay, okay. I know that's a big, that's a mouthful right there. Let me, let, me, let me explain these two things. The word covenant comes from a word, two possible words that it comes from. One is berit um, in the Hebrew, and it means to cut. So the Hebrews, when they talk about making a covenant, they will actually say to cut a covenant, tracing back to this story when Abram cut the animals in half. The other one can mean to bind together or to tether together. But here's the deal. God is saying, I am willing to tether myself to you. I am willing to be not two separate entities, but through covenant become one. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Where's the scriptural support for that? First Corinthians chapter six. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he's actually addressing something that seems to have nothing to do with this, sexual sin. But he says that, this. He who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one with her. But he who joins himself to Christ becomes one spirit with God. 
He who joins himself to Christ becomes one spirit with God. So God is saying in covenant, not only am I choosing you, not only am I not ashamed to be associated with you, to be called your God, but I am calling you just like the two halves of an animal to actually be tethered together as one flesh, one spirit with you. You are united with Christ. God considers himself one with you if you have entered into covenant with God. Covenant conveys value. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, God says this, Israel is my portion. Jacob is my inheritance. Meaning, man, I have chosen you for the best part. That's, you're all I get. You're the big prize. You are my inheritance. You are my portion. Son or daughter of God, you are his portion. What does the world tell us about ourselves? That we're worthless. That we don't belong with a great and holy God. That there's no way he could ever love us. But God stand in con- stands in contrast to that. And he tells us, I love you. I find value in you. I am not ashamed to be called your God. In fact, I take it a step farther and I want to become one with you. Just like an animal that is cut in half, but then bound together is one animal. So I am one with you. If you will just have ears to hear and eyes to see. Covenant conveys value. The second thing, the covenant tells us the second essential message from God that he wants you to hear today is that I expect the best from you. I expect the best from you. Covenant conveys expectation from God. Now, I'm actually pretty excited about this. And you're going to find out why in just a minute. So here, two things. In uh, chapter 17 of Genesis, uh, I'm going to read just a few verses here. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So, Take a step back for a second and imagine this day, right? But then, you know, Abraham is starting to have some kids and grandkids and, you know, it's kind of a little village, you know, and they live in tents and they're nomadic people because God hasn't fulfilled this promise to give them the land yet. So they're kind of going from place to place and, and people kind of know. People are kind of getting in on this, this thing that, you know, 
Abram, our father, has kind of been talking with God and having these conversations with God. And, you know, he always comes back smiling, you know, with a smile on his face. And seems like things are going pretty well. I don't know. We get the gist that God has a special purpose for us and a special choosing of us. And that God has good things in mind for us. So after Abram has this conversation with God, you can imagine that maybe some of the people in the village would be like, Hey, so Abram, you know, sit down, sit down. So uh, tell us, you know, what did God say? And so Abram kind of looks a little bit perplexed and says, well, um, I have good news and I have bad news. <laughs> and they, being smart people, were like, well, give us the good news first. And so Abram proceeds to share with them, well, God has said that we are going to be his covenant people and he is going to be our covenant God. And not only that, but it's going to last forever and ever. There will be no end to this great relationship. And God is choosing to be our God. What a great thing. And they're like, yeah, yeah, awesome. Woo, yeah, we're in, man, we're in. And they're like, well, what else did he say? And that's when Abram took a pause. It was like, ah, you guys might want to sit down for this part. (laughs) And Abram proceeds to share with them that God has called all of them as part of this covenant to be circumcised. And so on one day, all of the people, all of the clan of Abram, from the oldest, 99 years old Abram, to the youngest were circumcised on one day. Abram obeyed what God was calling him to do. You see, in every covenant, there is an expectation that is communicated. When God makes covenant with us, he does expect our very best. God has given Jesus his very best, and he expects from us, Highlands Ranch, our very best. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the first and greatest commandment, that we're to love the Lord our God with everything that we are. And that is what God communicated to Abram. He said, hey, here's part of the covenant, that you are to obey me, and you are to be circumcised. Romans 2.29 tells us that, hey, what matters isn't really circumcision outwardly of the body, but it's having circumcised hearts the circumcision of our heart being set apart for God, being made holy to him, right? That is what God is truly looking for. But nonetheless, it's the same exact attitude. It's saying, God, I give you my all. God, you can have my best. God, there is nothing that I want to hold back from you. That is what God expects when he enters into covenant with us. He gives us his best. He wants our best in return. And he wants obedience, Right? It's not just coming up with some cool things that I'll do for God. Oh, God, <laughs> thank you for entering into covenant with me. I'm going to tithe 11% this month just to show you what a great God you are and how great this covenant is. No, God says, hey, it's obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I want you to do what I'm asking you to do, right? So we see in this story that Abram obeyed God. Abram gave God his very best. Abram obeyed and you know, to the point of personal pain. But he gave God what God was asking for. In our lives, if you find yourself stuck, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, could it be that sometimes God has said, hey, here's what I'm asking. If you will just obey me in this, if you will just test me in this, you will see how I will open up the floodgates of heaven, how I will bring provision in your life, how I will bring the miraculous in your life if you will just obey me and just step out and do that thing that I've called you to do. Pastor John preached about it. Go out into that field that God is saying, and God will send the rain. 
God will open up that door in your life, but it requires our obedience. Now, do you want to hear the second thing that I believe this expectation involves? All right. The second thing we read in that chapter was that God came and said, Abram, from this day forward, you're no longer going to be known as Abram. I am changing your name. You will now be known as Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of multitudes. And here is what I believe God is saying. When I enter into covenant with you, and when you begin to understand, my people, the covenant that you have in me, then it gives me permission to actually come in and change your name and change your chemistry and change your heart and change the possibilities. You see, there's something that happens when we begin to say, God, what do you expect? God, what do you see happening through my life? God, I'm not gonna try to come up with some great plan of what could be. God, what is in your heart? What are your dreams for me? God, what is the passion of your heart to see your kingdom grow through me, in my family, in my job, wherever I am? Just like with Abraham, God has a purpose and a heart for you. And just like Abraham, every day of his life until that moment, he had called himself by a name that was good. Exalted father, nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, it's better than some of the other names, you know, son of my suffering, you know, things like that, right? Uh, Ichabod, the glory has departed. How would you like to have that name? No, okay. So, you know, Abram was not a horrible name. Right? He's exalted father. But God was saying, no, 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 no. The thing that you are calling yourself, what's in a name? What's in a name? Think about it. People tell us that of the most beautiful words in whatever language we speak is the sound of our own name. We love to hear our own name, don't we? Most of us. I hope you have a name you enjoy. I always wanted to be called Mike. But, you know, oh well. Um, I didn't get that. So now it's Daniel Joel and I'm, I'm okay with that. But here's the deal. What's in a name? It's what we speak over ourselves every day of our life. It's what we proclaim over ourselves every day. In fact, it's what we have other people speak over us every day of our lives. Hey, DJ, it's time for dinner. Hey, DJ, why didn't you make the bed? I mean, thank you for making the bed. DJ, don't leave those pallets outside or the people from the covenant are going to come get you. Our name is a powerful thing. And you see, sometimes the name that we've been raised with, the name that we have used up until this point in time won't get us from where we are to where God wants us to go. What got you here won't necessarily get you there. You might have a name that's pretty good. But God came to Abram and said, your name is pretty good, exalted father, but it's not good enough for the things that I want to do in your life. So I, with your permission, Abram, am changing it. And I want you to start declaring over yourself every day that you are Abraham, that you are a father of nations, that you're a father of multitudes, because you're not going to limit yourself by your own natural ability, by your own wisdom, by your own intellect, by your own skills or gifting. You're going to start calling yourself by the things that I say you are. Church, I believe that if we get this, it will change this church and it will change this community forever. 
you're sitting here in the sound of my voice, Council Rock Highlands Ranch, live stream, wherever you are. Listen to this. God is longing to be in covenant with you to the extent that you give him permission to change your name. And you might have thought, my name is good enough. It's pretty good. It's better than most. But God is saying, you have no idea. You have no idea the things that I want to do through you. If you will just believe me, if you will just let me give you a name, because that's what a father does. He names his children. But instead we go around calling ourselves by the names that the world has named us. We say, I'm unemployed. God, what can God do with me? Hey, I'm divorced. What can God do with me? Hey, I messed up real bad. I've sinned. You have no idea, pastor. What could God do with me? I don't have a clue. I've lost my business. Or I've been involved in a sin that I can't even mention in public. And we call ourselves by those names. We let the enemy name us. Failure. Sick. Sickly. There was a man in the book of Ruth that was actually named sickly. The name meant sickly. But we've allowed ourselves to be named by those names. And they limit us. And they limit our faith. Because your faith will not exceed the name that you have allowed God to give you. And the name that you speak over yourself every day of your life. So if I could be so bold, church, I would tell you this. Not only does God be in covenant with you, tell you that he finds value in you. That he's not ashamed to be your God. That he loves you. That he's choosing you. And he's going to see you through to victory. But that God is saying, I expect nothing but the best through you. Why? Because it's not about who you are. It's about my power in you. It's about the name that I can speak in you and over you. And if we say, yes, Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. Like Mary did when Gabriel appeared to her. We will begin to see the miraculous things of God break open in our lives like never before. God is saying, I want to give you a new name. Will you let me? You will no longer be known as barren. You will no longer be known as abandoned. You will no longer be known as rejected. I can feel it. There's so many names. As many people as are listening, it's a different name that the enemy has tried to limit us through. And God is saying, today is a new day. I'm speaking a new name over you. I'm opening your ears to hear the things that I have to say about you. To hear what I feel about you. To hear what I can do in your life. I don't want to hear anymore about your limitations. I want you to hear about my power and my ability in your life. God is giving you a new name, church. Receive it. So we see in the story that Abram, his name was changed to Abraham. Sarai was changed to Sarah. And in the next chapter, you know, we have three visitors Abraham gets. And it was the Lord and a couple of his angels. And, uh, and uh, the, the Lord says, hey, uh, Abraham, and of course, he changed his name now. He says, by this time next year, your wife Sarah will have a child. And here's this woman who all the time until that point had been barren, unable to bring forth the promise of God. Think about this. God's given a promise. God said it's going to happen. God said, Abraham, I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. And yet, the woman in his life is unable to bring forth a child. Think about how she felt. I'm holding him back. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe we were never supposed to be married. I wasn't the one. She went as far as letting another woman 
into Abraham's bedroom, thinking, well, maybe through her, it is that Abraham's descendants will be reckoned. But God said, no, I'm changing your name too. Sarai, your name will henceforth be Sarah. And not only that, but a year from now, you will have a child. You will bring forth the promise that I have promised to Abraham, the beginning of the fulfillment of my promise to make him a great nation and to bless all the nations of the earth through him. And you know what she did? (laughs) Same thing we do when God begins to open our ears. She laughed. (laughs) She was at the door of her tent and she laughed and the, the Lord and the angels heard her and they said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And they go, oh yes, you did laugh. (laughs) When God says, oh yes, you did laugh. (laughs) You did laugh. (laughs) But here's the deal is that, you know what, sometimes when we begin to hear and the ears of our heart are opened to God's name over us and to his promise being birthed in our lives, it might even make us laugh. It might even make us go, wow, are you serious, God? There's no way. How could this even happen? But Lord, may we say, yes, Lord, be it done unto me according to your will. All the promises of God are yes and amen. God says, yes, I'm going to do this. And we say, amen, God. Yes, I agree with that. So be it unto me. God's promise communicates his expectation of the supernatural in our lives. Are you ready to receive that? Are you ready to let God name you and open your heart to the things he wants to do? All right, last but not least, the third thing, the third message that I believe covenant conveys to us today is that you can trust me. I never forget a promise. God is saying, you can trust me. I never forget a promise. You see, after the days of Abraham that we've been reading about and after Isaac was born and several generations, you know, uh, uh, Jacob and then uh, Joseph and so forth. And there were days of prosperity and of blessing upon uh, the descendants of Abraham. But then they went into the land of Egypt because of famine and they lived there. And sure enough, the darkness that Abraham had felt when he was sacrificing those animals into the Lord and cutting them in half was fulfilled And for 430 years, the people of God suffered in misery and oppression, feeling that everything was actually upside down from what God had promised. That everything that God had said, oh, a land of milk and honey, well, where's that? Oh, that we're blessed, well, where's that? Oh, that those that curse us will be cursed? Well, I don't see Potiphar and, you know, all these Egyptians being cursed. They're actually the blessed ones. We're the cursed ones. That everything looked like it was upside down. And that God wasn't going to be faithful to his promise. But in Genesis chapter 3, we we read about a man named Moses who was a shepherd. And he was out tending his flock and he saw a mystery. He saw a burning bush that was not consumed. And he turned aside and God told him, take your sandals off. The place where you're walking is holy ground. He did so. And the Lord in verse 7 said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So go now. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. For 430 years... The people of God had suffered. They had received a covenant. They had experienced God's favor. They had felt like God was saying, yes, I find value in you. I am choosing you as a people. Abraham, I'm choosing you. I believe nothing but the best is going to happen through you as you trust and obey me. 
but yet they found themselves for 430 years in suffering. Perhaps you're here today and you're saying to yourself, I'm in that place of suffering. I feel like I'm a slave. I feel anything but the name of God and the promise of God being fulfilled in my life. Perhaps you felt that God had called you to a particular ministry and it hasn't, the door hasn't opened to it yet. Perhaps you felt that God was gonna give you children and that you were gonna be able to have a family and that hasn't happened yet and you still find yourself in a place of barrenness, sterility. Perhaps you believe that God promised you he was gonna prosper you financially and that you would be able to give to God's kingdom and it just hasn't happened yet. In fact, just the opposite seems to be happening in your life. Maybe you're struggling with sickness and the promise of God seems to delay. I believe that the third thing that covenant tells us and that God is speaking to us is that I can be trusted. I never forget a promise. You see, 430 years later, God called Moses, empowered him, and sent him to walk in there to that Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. It is time. It is time for the promise of God to be fulfilled in our lives. And in the same way, I believe that God is going to do nothing less with you, church. The very things that God has promised, he will fulfill. In the book of Habakkuk, it says this, write the vision net down and make it plain so that the messenger may run with it for it speaks of an end. It will prove true. It will come to pass. The vision speaks of an end. And you see, God has the advantage of seeing the end from the beginning. As Pastor John always tells us, we've read the end of the book. We win. Amen. God will be faithful to the promise and to the covenant that he has made with you and that he's made with us as his people. So as we conclude this message this weekend, I want to ask you this. How do you know when you're in a great covenant? Are all covenants equal? No, they're not. Some covenants are say they're here to protect us, but really enslave us. But here's the deal. How do we measure a covenant? I believe you can measure a covenant by asking yourself three questions. How good are the promises in this covenant? What are the intentions, right? We've heard Pastor John speak about the bridegroom would come in to the bride's family and would lay out the promises that he was making, saying, hey, I will provide for you every day of our lives. I will build a home that will accommodate you. I will help teach and nurture our children in the ways of the Lord. I will do this and I will do that. And he made a series of promises, right? But then we need to look and say, okay, not only how good are the promises that are being made to me, but also how great is the person's power to make it actually happen? How great is that person's ability to actually make it come to pass? Girls, a little word of wisdom for you. If a guy comes into your life and says, I will take care of you, I will bless you, I will always be here for you, I will provide, but he doesn't have a job and doesn't have any plans of getting one, <laughs> then think about it. You need to have the power and the ability to make it happen, to make that promise come to pass. And last but not least, we have to ask ourselves, what is the character of the person? What is the character of the person? Are they trustworthy? Are they fickle? Do they change or are they faithful and true? And I want to tell you this. Our God, his promises for us 
are without compare. He says, I will give you life and life abundantly. I know the purposes I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I'm here to tell you, the more you open God's word, the more you will realize the good purposes and the good promises of God for your life. God says, man, if you do it my way and and walk in this covenant with me, I will bless you in the field and I will bless you in your house. I will bless you going out. I will bless you coming in. I will bless the fruit of your womb. I will bless the cows in the barn. I mean, man, it's like, ah, you know, I don't know if I really need cows, but thanks, it's a great thought, you know. I'll just take the cash instead. God wants to bless you. Secondly, does God have the power to do it? Yes, he does. As he told Abraham, Nothing is impossible for the Lord. Whatever God has promised you, I'm here to tell you, he has the power to bring that thing to pass in your life. And last but not least, will he change? Will he change his mind? Will he change the way he feels about you? Will he change the covenant that he's made with you? Never. God is faithful. God is true. He will never change the covenant that he's making with us today. So as we conclude today, some simple questions. Worship teams at the campuses can come forward. I want to ask you this question as we enter into our response time. I believe God wants to answer it. One is, have you believed that God loves you? Have you believed that he finds value in you? Have you understood that he is choosing you, that he is looking over your life saying, yes, I want to win and I'm going to do it with you. Yes, my daughter, we're going to do great things together. Yes, I love you. I love being associated with you. I love being your God. I love calling you my child. I love calling you my people. Yes, we are like two halves of a whole bound together. One spirit, as Corinthians tells us. Has that truth sunk down into the deepest part of our spirit? What about this? What name am I walking under? Am I living under the name of my own choosing? The name that perhaps I've allowed other people to speak over me? Perhaps your parents spoke over you limitations when you were young. Perhaps a previous spouse spoke over you that you were worthless, that you weren't worth loving. Perhaps an employer spoke over you that you'll never amount to much. You can't be trusted. You, you don't have what it takes to make a company move forward and succeed. Whatever those things are, are you ready to lay those lies down and say, God, I refuse to call myself by any other name than by the name that you are naming me by. God wants to speak a new name over you, church. Are you ready to listen? And last but not least, if you're in that place of suffering, if you're in that place despair wondering if his promise will come true are we able to say God I believe that your promise will be faithful I believe that you it does speak of an end that will happen you've seen the end from the beginning and so Lord here I am allow me to persevere allow me to believe like Abraham believed and it was counted for him as righteousness God let me glorify you in the suffering let me glorify you in the time of trial because I know that that's all the more glory that you will get Jesus When you come in and save the day, it will result in glory and honor for you.